Well, guys, I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read the Bible on, and I want you to turn uh, to the book of Matthew. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of like a brief recap of what our kids have been learning at Vacation Bible School. Now, uh, I understand Matthew may be a little difficult to find. If you want to grab one of the Bibles in the back of the pew and open it up, there are some instructions on the screen behind me on how to find the book of Matthew if you're not sure how to locate it. We'll leave this graphic on the screen for a few minutes uh, so that you can locate it. Uh, but kids... I've got some kids right here in the front and kind of scattered throughout. Through Vacation Bible School this week, kids, we studied, we followed a guy that followed Jesus. We kind of looked at some points in his life. Who was the guy that we studied about this week in Vacation Bible School? Peter. Peter. The life of Peter. So Peter was one of Jesus's disciples, one of his main disciples, actually. He did a lot of leading uh, and did some good things and made some mistakes in his life in following Jesus. Uh, and that's kind of why we have this theme with our Vacation Bible School of twists and turns, because Peter's life is an example of twists and turns, of things going really well and things going really badly. Uh, you know, we use this illustration, adults, if you're not sure what this is, this is the classic game, Shoots and Ladders. In Peter's life, he had moments where he climbed the ladder. He, he knew and he figured things out. But then Peter had moments where he made some not so great decisions and went down a chute. He had his ups, his downs, his twists, and his turns. And your children this past week studied about what we can learn from Peter's life. Now, we learned that Peter uh, was called by Jesus in, in Matthew 4, 19. Uh, Jesus talks to him and his brother Andrew, and he, Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so, day one was all about following Jesus. And day two was about trusting Jesus and then uh, learning about how we can follow him and trust him. We can, uh, he is worthy to be followed and that he loves us. And we learned all of those lessons from the life of Peter. But I want to focus this morning on what we studied on Tuesday, which is in Matthew 14. So take your Bibles, open up to Matthew 14. We're going to start in verse 22. Now, as you're finding Matthew 14, 22, let me tell you what has happened earlier in the chapter. Uh, so Jesus has been going around. He's been teaching his ministries in full swing. And Jesus has this moment where things are kind of difficult for him because he finds out that John the Baptist has been killed by the government. And so he has this kind of difficult moment in his life because John was not only kind of the guy who prepared the way for Jesus, but he was a relative of Jesus. He was related to him. And so John or Jesus probably was going through a difficult time. And he goes up to this mountainside and he begins teaching. And thousands of people gather to listen to his teaching. And the day goes on and on and on and on and on. And the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, we need to send the people back because it's getting late. They've not eaten. We need to feed. They need to go eat. And Jesus says, well, what have we got here to eat? And so they say, well, we've got the, these, this bread and this fish. And he goes, well, feed them with that. And they're like, oh, silly Jesus. Do you see how many people are here? I mean, we've got a basket, basically, of food. And you want us to feed thousands of people with a basket. 
And Jesus goes, yeah, do it. And what happens if you've heard this account from the life of Jesus? He performs this great miracle where he feeds 5,000 men, probably way more than 5,000 when you include women and children, with just a basket full of food. And then immediately following that, that evening, the people kind of disperse a little bit. And Jesus tells the disciples, hey, go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. I'll join you in a little bit. And he goes up by himself to pray. Now look with me in verse 22 now. It says, immediately he made the disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land. It was beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, which is about 3 a.m. So context here, it's literally the middle of the night. These guys are tired, they're sleepy, they're fighting the wind and the waves, their boats rocking all over the place. Worst case, worst place you want to be at 3 a.m. is in a boat that is rocking violently on the water. So that's what they're doing. So come back to verse 25. On the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It's okay. It's I. Don't be afraid. Okay, now pause there for a second. We're going to come back to this, so don't close your Bibles yet. Imagine, put yourself in the shoes of these disciples for just a moment. They have had a crazy day. They've been with Jesus all day as he's taught. They've just experienced, they've just witnessed a miracle of him feeding 5,000 people with just a basket full of food. They're probably getting in the boat and taking off into the sea thinking, wow, did you just see what I just saw? But by the time 3 a.m. comes around, they're probably exhausted. They've been fighting the wind. The waves are beating against this boat. It's rocking all over the place. If you're a person who gets seasick or motion sick, this would be a miserable experience for you. You would be on the side of the boat, right? And at 3 o'clock in the morning, with the wind and the waves and the exhaustion, they see some dude walking on the water. Now, what would your first thought be? Theirs is, it's a ghost. Yours probably would be too. Given all of the factors here, you would not go, oh, that's Jesus. That would not be your first thought. And so the disciples in this moment kind of have a very scared, very afraid moment of what am I seeing here? And Jesus goes, guys, guys, guys. It's me. It's okay. Don't be afraid. So, let's look at what happens next. Verse 28. And Peter. So, reminder, during vacation Bible school, all of the lessons followed the life of Peter. So, Peter, verse 28, answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. And he said, Jesus said, come. Come. So, Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water, 
and came to Jesus. Okay, now stop there for just a second. Let me ask you a question. Who else got out of the boat? Nobody. It was Peter only, right? Peter looks at Jesus in that moment and goes, if it's really you, I want to come out and check, it, check this out. I want to see what you're seeing. I want to experience this. And Jesus says, okay, come on out here. And Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking while the other 11 disciples are still in the boat going, I'm not getting out. Peter, you can have your fun time with Jesus. I know that when I touch water, I sink. So I'm not going out there. But Peter walks on the water to Jesus. Now, how did that happen? How was he able? He's not Jesus. So how was he able in that moment to physically walk on water like God the Son, Jesus Christ, was doing? How could he do that? He did that through the power of Jesus because he trusted Jesus. I've never walked on water. I don't think I would try because I know the science. I know that if I step out off of the edge of my pool into the water, that the moment that my foot steps away from solid ground, I'm going to go under the water. There is nothing of my own power that I could possibly do to make myself stand or walk on water. I can't do it. I need Jesus if he calls me to do it. So it's only through the power of Jesus that Peter's able to do this. Let's keep going though. Verse 30. So Peter's walking on the water towards Jesus. Remember, the wind is blowing. The waves are hitting this boat. And look at what happens in verse 30. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So, stop there. Peter needs help. Why did he need help? He was doing just fine. Go ahead. He sunk. He looked around, and he stopped putting faith, putting trust in Jesus, and he sunk like a rock, didn't he? The moment he took his focus, his trust, off of the one thing that was enabling him to do what he was doing, the moment he took his eyes off and paid attention to something else, he sunk. He went into the water. And with the wind blowing and the waves churning and all of that happening, he needed help. It's one thing to swim in a swimming pool in Arizona. It's a whole other thing to swim in the middle of a sea with massive waves and wind hitting you and pushing you under. Peter was a fisherman. That was his job. And he knew in that moment that he was not going to be able to swim out of this. The waves were too strong. And so he reaches out and says, Lord, save me. And what does Jesus do? He saved him. He rescued him. He reached out his hand and pulled him out. He rescued him from his desperate situation. 
Now look at what happens when they get back. Look with me in verse 32. It says, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. So Jesus takes Peter, pulls him out of the water, takes him over to the boat. And the moment that Jesus steps into that boat, the wind and the waves stop. The wind and the waves that have been pushing against this boat all night long, all of a sudden, they stop. And everything goes calm. Now, now, mind you, it is three o'clock in the morning, and these disciples have been doing what for the last several hours? They've been fighting the wind. They've been putting up with the rocking that this boat is doing because of the waves. And Jesus steps into the boat, and what happens? Instant stops immediately. And the disciples look at Jesus and go, whoa, you are God's son. There's no doubt. There's no other explanation for what we just saw. Not only were you walking on water and you, through your power, because of the trust that Peter had, he walked on the water and you rescued him and you stepped in the boat. And the moment you did the wind and the wave stop, you've got to be God's son. There's no other explanation. They trusted him. They trusted Jesus. And through the rest of the week, your children at Vacation Bible School studied about how he is worthy to be followed, to be trusted. And then we learned about how in Acts chapter 10, Peter goes on to lead the church and open the door for all people to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. Peter did some great things. But Peter made some mistakes also. And one of the things that we taught our children this week is that we're not perfect. And there are going to be times when we mess things up. We're going to have twists and turns. We're going to have ups and downs. But if we trust in Jesus, he can take care of all of those twists and turns. He can see us through those difficult times. Now, I'm going to use an illustration. I have to confess to you right now, I did not come up with this. I saw this. Um, I'm stealing this from somebody. But in, the hand, in my hands, this basketball is pretty worthless. If you've ever seen me play basketball, you would understand why I say that. I mean, guys, I know the stage adds a few inches, but I'm a short guy. You know, white men can't jump. Yeah. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, I cannot do much with this basketball. It's kind of deflated, so not a lot of people could. But if LeBron James was standing up here with this basketball, there would be value to this basketball, wouldn't there? Whether it's deflated or not, the fact that LeBron James had it in his hands would bring value to this ball, correct? There would be people that simply because he touched it, they would pay top dollar to have this basketball. Would they not? Yeah. Absolutely. Do any of you in this room want to pay top dollar in for this basketball because I'm holding it right now? No. 
Pastor Chad, it's a deflated old USA, probably got like as a freebie for some school event, right? It doesn't have any value in my hands. Now, I did play football in high school, and by playing football in high school, I mean I warmed the bench really, really well. I can throw a football, I can catch a football sometimes, but I'm nothing to write home about. I did a lot of like prepping the bench for the guys that actually did play football on my team. But I put on the pads and I held the football a few times. Knowing that, and the fact that this is an Eagles football, ugh. I got this out of the lost and found this morning. Shows you how much value there is in this. But, but this football being in my hands does not give, you, give it much value, does it? But again, if Peyton Manning was standing up here holding this football, suddenly there would be people that would pay top dollar to have this because Peyton Manning had held it. Because it had been in his hands, Correct? Yeah, absolutely. It's not much value coming from me. Because I'm a nobody. I've never made any NFL drafts. I've never been discussed. My name has never been mentioned on ESPN. Never will be. So this is pretty much just an old football, right? Oh, that bounced really well. I'm glad for that. Now... If I came up here, though, holding a hammer, now suddenly I can bring some value to the table. Because I was in construction for almost 25 years before I became a pastor. My dad owned a construction company. I can actually build things. I've renovated a house before. Flipped it. I know a few things. Like there, I could bring some value to your home if I had a hammer in my hand and the right tools. Hear me clearly, guys. Let me, let me make this very clear. Your life in the hands of anyone has value. But your life has redemptive value if you're in the hands of Jesus. You see, Jesus knew if you don't know this, Jesus was and he is God. And he looked at this world and he looked at the plight of humanity, recognizing that we are sinners, we make mistakes, we have our twists and turns, we sin, we disobey, we're not good people. We try to be, but ugh, we're not quite there. And because we are sinners, that sin has rightly condemned us. And there's nothing that you or I could do to fix that. There's nothing in the capability of our own hands to do anything about rescuing us from the condemnation that sin brings in our lives. And so God himself decided to come down and die on a cross so that he could rescue you by placing you in his hands. Trusting 
in Jesus, that he died on a cross to save you and he rose from the grave on the third day proving that he's God's only son and that if you would believe in him and commit your life to him, you can be rescued from that condemnation that sin puts you in because that condemnation is eternal. It's not just for your existence here on this planet That condemnation is forever. But Jesus, if you would believe in him, Jesus will pull you out of that condemnation with his very capable hands. And he will rescue you. Your hands can't do it. You are incapable. Your hands are the hands that created the mess you're in. And Jesus came to wipe your hands clean. To make you clean and clear and innocent of all those sins. He paid the price that you couldn't pay. And the kids have heard repeatedly this week, Jesus loves you. And you don't have to fix yourself before you come to him. He wants you to believe in him right where you're at and let him redeem, let him fix, let him do away with that sin. And let him save you so that you can have eternity with him instead of an eternity of condemnation. That's what your kids have been hearing. And guys, please hear me clearly. If you're here today and you've never stepped into a place where you've placed your faith, your trust, your belief in Jesus, we want to open a door for you to do that today. We want to give you the opportunity And so there are a couple of things you can do. You can fill out one of those connect cards that I mentioned earlier. Drop it in one of the offering boxes. We'll grab it. I'll call you this week. I'd love to talk to you about what a journey with Jesus looks like. Or if you're ready to respond right now, I'll be out in the foyer uh, during the closing song and you can come talk to me. I would love to have that conversation with you. But hear me clearly, God loves you. And he wants you to believe in him So that he can rescue you. He can save you. Just like he did with Peter. Rescuing him out of that water. With his very capable hands. He wants that for you. So. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. And then I'm going to give a little introduction. And invite our kids and our leaders up. For something that's going to be a little different. From what we normally do. So join me in a word of prayer. And I'll tell you what's about to happen. Almighty God, we thank you so much for today, and we thank you for our kids, our students, everything that you have done through them this summer with kids camp, with student camp, with vacation Bible school. Lord, we are thankful. We are so grateful for all you have done, for all you're doing, and for all that you're going to do in the lives of these children and teenagers and in our own lives. So, Lord, we thank you. We pray that you would help us to recognize our need for you. Help us to trust in your very capable hands. We thank you so much, Lord. And we lift all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.